Giuliano. It is Saturday, the 24th of September, 2016, and this is, what's the number? I'm going to be gentle. It's 190. Don't don't want to break any eardrums. Don't wake anybody up, but it's 190. Uh, just, just not the same. Not the same. From now on, you got to just do it the old one way. Nine zero. There you go. All right. <laughs> Hey, we got a lot of stuff to cover. It's been a while since we've been on. Good to see you again, Pete. Thanks for getting up early in the morning out there on the left coast. Uh, I want to start with some words of inspiration from George Dobbs, G3RJV. Someone sent me a video. I hadn't seen it before. It's a 45-minute presentation by, uh, by George on the how and why of QRP. It's really well done. Very inspirational. I have it up on the blog if anybody wants to look at the whole thing. It's really worth looking at. But he has a quote there about, I guess, about a third of the way through. And it reminded me of the projects that you and I and many others are working on. Here's the quote. Um, Radio construction is rather like a pilgrimage where the journey is often more important than the destination. Indeed it is. I'll say that again. Radio construction is rather like a pilgrimage where the journey is often more important than the destination. That's really true. And you know, and what, what George was talking about there was how if, if you're a real a home brewer, a real kind of hardcore, diehard solder melter, the, you know, the, the building of the rigs is almost as much fun or sometimes more fun than the actual use of them. And George has built so many of them that he admits in the video that very often upon completion of the rig, he only makes a few contacts, then he puts them on the shelf and starts with something else. So I, that really resonated with me. And I thought you you would, you would really like that one too, Pete. What do you oh, think? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think at the heart of this is learning. I mean, uh, if you just go to a place and you say, what did I learn? You, 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 and without that focus, uh, you, you don't progress. And I think uh, the, the journey becomes a learning experience in itself. You, 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 you know, you solder your fingers together and say, better not do that again. You know? Yeah. You know, I, I, my, my attitude towards this has sort of changed over the years of, of home brewing. I remember when I, when I first started building rigs, I was very anxious. I, I really wanted to get that rig finished so that I could put it on the air, so that I could tell everybody that I was using a homebrew rig. And and you know, and I, I would get really frustrated if I was delayed or if something slowed me down. And but now, uh, no, I, I, I take it a lot slower. I mean, because if I want to use a homebrew rig, I got several on the operating table that I could use anytime I want. But it is like you say, you you know, it's it's part of a learning process. You're trying to refine the rigs. You're trying to get it to work the way you want it to work. You're learning something about circuits. So, uh, yeah, it's about the journey, ladies and gentlemen. And Pete, we are all pilgrims. Yes, we really I guess are. So. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are. I was think I was thinking about calling today's episode "Pilgrim's Progress," but uh, no, I think this is more. We, we got a different theme. It's a junk box rigs. Yeah. But I want to say something about George. I mean, he has been such such a source of inspiration over the years through Sprat, through his videos, through his articles in pop in uh, in Practical Wireless. You know, it's it's almost enough to make you want to join the Anglican religion, Pete. Oh, amen. <laughs> and that you know that's that I don't I th- I think I think as Catholics we'd be in trouble for admitting yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Oh, well, that's pretty close. Yeah. Well. Yeah. 
you you know the thing that's interesting is uh, if you look at Spratt, uh, George is not the only minister that's a ham that writes articles for Spratt. Have you noticed that? I didn't know. There's yeah. several others. In yeah. I, a matter of fact, it'll say the Reverend, you know, something or other, and I said, oh yeah, one of George's friends. Yeah. Hey, well, listen. There's a uh, there's a really funny part of the video that I referred to. I don't know if you watched the whole thing, but he's he goes through and in the in the course of describing the QRP rigs that he's working on, he he presents um, a survey that they did in the UK about job satisfaction. Which which jobs produce the most personal satisfaction? And what he discovers is that almost all of like the top ten or the top fifteen are jobs that are kind of skilled but manual work jobs like hairdressers or carpenters or you know the, the practical trades and and he says that you know this is obviously because at the end of the day the person gets to stand back and say I did that yeah. I built that I fixed that I made that but the odd thing is that the the second or third item on the list is um um clergy clergymen and then George, in, in his video, he says, he tries to explain this because it, it obviously doesn't fit in. And he just, in a very kind of droll, very British way, he, he pauses and he says, well, how do we explain this? <laughs> and there's a pause and he says, well, they lied, obviously. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. He points out it was quite difficult for, 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 for a man of the cloth to admit that he gets no satisfaction. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, we, we digress. Yes. Well, we're good at that. <laughs> but the other thing I, about, about the video is, is it, it kind of excited me again about QRP rigs. And the thing that I got from it was the simplicity of the, the little QRP rigs, like the Micro 80 and the Pixie and, and all these other tiny little rigs, the rigs that they build in little cardboard boxes and all that. And you know, uh, I haven't done any of that kind of stuff in a long time. I mean, I built the uh, the Tuna Tin 2 and other similar rigs. But those rigs, all the rigs that George had on the video, and I think what he focuses on in practical wireless, I guess what the, what you'd call kind of one-and-done rigs, where you could sit down and in the course of a day or a weekend, go from start to finish, finish the thing, and get it on the air, make a few contacts. And we're uh, the rigs we've been working on are not in that category. They're like, you know a few months and you're done and there's something to be said for the simplicity of these little rigs you know and even though i'm not crazy about cw anymore and i know you've got away from it too there's something to be said for the simplicity that comes with the uh you know just turning it on and off no modulation no mixing direct yeah i don't know pete we're gonna have to you know and you i'm talking to you you remember the qrp hall of fame oh yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you're supposed to show more enthusiasm about this well, stuff. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I'll tell you, Bill. I think uh, you, you can take things to extreme. I, I think um, I, I've built a lot of QRP radios. I had quite a few of them on the air. I occasionally get on uh, and uh, you know just operate at the QRP level, and uh, it works just fine and make a lot of contacts. But I think at the same time. You can't be so so polar that you're only in this one area. I mean, I I, I like to I like to experiment with uh, you know low power and high power as well. So why not live and let yeah, live? Yeah, yeah. Variety is the spice of life. Yeah. Hey. And we and we we actually got at one point we got a special dispensation from George sure. Dobbs. Yeah. Well, so it, so it's it's all legit. Uh, right. Hey. You're in no danger of having your Hall of Fame membership revoked. Let him take it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, don't say that. Don't do it. No. <laughs> uh, before we leave the subject of clergy, you know there are there are a couple of uh, uh, DXers that that were clergy, and and it's got yeah Michael Moran and at nine n one mm Mickey Mouse. Uh, they're in the Paul. Actually, talked to him once, and the other one that uh, used to. Um, used to really be sought after i think he's now a silent key is uh father dave he was ce0ae down on easter island i mean if you wow. want to have if you want to have an easter island contest you know with all them guys that are sunk in the in the the, the big monoliths you know that are sunk wow. in there but cool. the ce0ae was uh, father dave so and oh, uh, and i think there are um quite a few other ministers uh Oh yeah, you, you would see them in the house DX. Yeah, yeah, you know they they every once in a while. So uh, while they're out there as missionaries, and it serves another practical purpose. That's that's their link, you know, <laughs> back. That's there. right. So yeah. so yeah, cool. All right, okay, but beyond Pilgrim's Progress, the, the the subject of today's podcast is junk box projects because just without any prior coordination. Just because I think the influence of uh oh we're gonna get we, we've just been very religious and now we're getting into sacrilegious uh, the the influence of the radio gods which we say in in jest here but the radio gods have kind of influenced you and and they've influenced me and we have both at the same time started working on junk box projects right and uh, so I think uh, that's what we should spend some time today talking to. to to, to folks about the projects that have kind of just jumped out of our uh, uh, our respective junk boxes and have become rigs. So you go first because I think yours is the most impressive. Well, I, you know, first of I'll say this all the time, and and I don't think people believe me. I I, I say I actually have two boxes, a very large box that contains all the projects that sort of worked once that never worked and never really would work and uh so so that's a quite a large box and then a very small box has uh radios that are actually functional and do all the things you want to do so Eric i have a box too i want to tell you about a box that i have that's very apropos what we're going to talk about i actually have a cardboard box and it's labeled boards that could be rigs <laughs> yeah 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 you're right so, uh, you know, given my circumstance here this this year where uh, I just don't have the time to start with a clean sheet of paper and, you know, order all the parts in and what have you, I, I've been looking in that junk box and saying, you know, I could make this work or maybe I could make that work or connect those together. And actually, this uh, latest rig that I got, got uh, the junk box rig, I just had all these boards. Uh, and many times uh, podcast listeners will hear me say, uh, I, I built two two sets of boards. I built a prototype, and then you know once I saw that worked, I'll, I'll refine it, make it smaller, make it look neater, uh, do a you know do a better job, or if some changes that I see as a result of the prototype incorporate in the final board. But you still have this prototype, so yeah, throw it in the box. And uh, I said, why couldn't you do something with that? But but I think it's also a, a challenge to look through the junk box of parts. Many times you'll find things uh, that um, you you say, gee, why did I buy those? Like I found a bag of BD-139s. We're going to talk about those a little bit later. And I bought them for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. But I bought them and I said, you know, I ought to find out why I bought them. And, and then I did. <laughs> then I realized why I bought them. And 
and I find out they're really an amazing transistor, and we'll talk about that later. But, you know, looking at this junk, another thing is sometimes when we look at this with a fresh pair of eyes, uh, we suddenly discover why something doesn't work. Uh, you know, just the analysis and sometimes just inspection will do it. As an example, I had a 20-meter uh, bandpass filter, and I know I, I, I kind of tuned it up. I had it, you know, I slap dashed it in a rig and said, oh, yeah, that'll work. And, and you know, I got it to peak, but it just didn't seem right. And then I looked at it. I, I didn't, you know, try to sweep it or anything of that sort. I said, yeah, well, okay, this the, gave me what I needed to know, threw it in the box. And I looked at the coils. And I said, you know, they have too many turns of wire on them. <laughs> they, and that's they, not they, good. They, I, I mean – Typically, uh, and, and, and the one that I use, the tip, typical bandpass filter I use is out of solid state design of the radio amateur. And coil L3 is a T68-6, uh, and, and it should have 20 turns, a number 22. I looked at that thing, I said, there's about 34 turns in there. <laughs> and I said, wow. I, you know, I'm, and I had, I had trimmer caps. So, so it kind of got near 20 meters because there was very, very little capacitance there, but too much inductance. So I said, I need to go back and fix that. And I bet if I got it to, you know, 20 turns to 22, it'll work really well. But just things that, you know, at the time, and it, so it causes you to reflect. So that's going to go in uh, some, you know, 20 meter radio if I got coming along the path here sometime in the future. I, I now have a good bandpass filter once I change the coil. So... Uh, it's, it's good to look through the junk box and you'll you'll sort of find uh, things that you did or didn't do right and you say why in the world did I do that and then you go back and look at it and say that's why it didn't work but the joys of yeah, junk yeah the joys of junk and there's a lot of really good uh, you know boards that I was able to, able to salvage out of there and uh, you know put together a working radio so the the other thing about uh, taking some of these boards you it forces you to go back and look at the circuits themselves. And, and you see things in, in the circuits. You say, now, why did I do that? Or why why did, if, if it was a project that appeared somewhere and I just lifted the board, why did the author do that? And it, and it forces you to really, uh, you know, examine the circuit details and, and all the nuances and maybe to find some things that uh, you could do better. So, um I think there's a lot of uh, opportunity in terms of looking at <laughs> what you got in the junk box, and, and it promotes the learning. You know, the the journey part again. Uh, yeah. I, I found some things that really, you know, really popped out at me and said, "This doesn't make any sense. This has got to be this has got to be the reason why this board doesn't work." And and you turn around and fix it and find out how the board works. So. It, it's yeah, a, the other thing, one other thing I, I really like about this whole approach is that you can, you know, it's it, I, I find it especially satisfying if you say to yourself, "Hey, look, I'm going to try to work with what I have at hand, yeah. and I'm not, and I'm this is going to be a purely junk box rig." Yeah, you know, I extend it a little bit because it's not just my junk box, but the junk box of friends. But I'm not going to go to Mauser or DigiKey for anything on this. And if I, if I, you know, if I don't have a, a particular part that would be ideal. I'm going to make do with what I have in the box. Yeah. And, you know, that's a, so you end up and you say, wow, this is just, this all just came out of stuff that was at hand. Absolutely. And, and a good example of that is I, I didn't have any uh, TFT displays. 
I, I had some on order, but they, you know, took almost a month to get here. So I said, look, what am I going to put in here? I said, oh, I got a blue LCD. So I changed the code <laughs> and I used the LC blue LCD display that I had in the junk box that I didn't. And it's blue. And it's, and blue. it's blue. Yeah, it's blue. So I didn't need to, you know, I, I can see the color TFT has a, has a few refinements that this doesn't have, but it's perfectly adequate. And I didn't have That's to spend right. any money. You know, it was just something I got there and, you know, found some code that I had stashed away and made it work. So, yeah, you're right. Don't improvise, improvise, satisfies. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Hey, uh, and the other thing I, I found with this whole approach is that the, the, the rig that results, and we use this term a lot, but I think it's important here and very appropriate. These rigs end up having a lot more soul than than other other rigs. If you just sent off kind of an order sheet to DigiKey or Mauser, and you put it all together, and then that was it. That's not quite the yeah. same as, you know, I got parts in this current rig that I've had sitting around the junk box for 20 years. A lot of parts that friends have sent me, ideas and parts that you've sent me, uh, you know, that, that Mike Rainey and uh, W8 uh, NSA and uh, Armin's dial in it. So it all becomes very kind of a lot of soul in the new old machine oh, so I, that, yeah. that that makes it fun too well here's a little example and we'll talk about it in de the details of the rig but just a really good example was uh uh heat sinks <laughs> you know we talked about heat sinks and i said oh man you know i'm looking at my junk box and it's a little low and then all of a sudden the light bulb went out i, I for the base plate of this uh, new transceiver uh i had a sheet of copper board single-sided copper board that was uh eight eight inches wide by ten and a half inches long so i said why can't i use that as the heat sink <laughs> so guess what yeah it's cool it that transistor does not get hot i mean finally i got a big enough heat sink on it that 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 heat sink just perfect i mean i have a little insulator on there and there it is, and and the since it's single sided, uh, you know the the bottom side, you're not going to worry about uh, shorting anything out. Yeah, I'm good. I, it, 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 perfect. And I said, man, why didn't I think of this before? You know, here it is. Here it is. I, I used all right. The well, base well you got to tell us about the rig that results because I was looking at your video on this, and I'm going to put it up on the on the blog as as kind of above the description of today's podcast, so everybody would be able to see it. But I think it's really beautiful. It's the new blue junk box transceiver. But tell us about a little bit about the circuitry lineup and how it went together and all that. Well, I have long ago standardized on on quite a few modules. And so the junk box has got a lot of these modules in it. Uh, some of them maybe were prototypes and some of them just didn't work. And I went back and fixed things. And uh, so I said, okay, I'm going to try to use everything that I can. As a matter of fact... Um, Two of the boards uh, were copper boards uh, I had made for the KWM4, and I found out there was an error in the board. So I, I corrected the error and made a new board, but I never soldered anything to the board. You know, sometimes you, I'll lay it out on graph paper, and I think I've got everything right, and I, I reversed something. So I said, man, this isn't going to work. So I changed the drawing, just cut a new board. You know, t 10 minutes worth of work, I had a new board, but I still had the old board. So one of the boards that was uh, originally intended as the BFO um, uh, oscillator in the KWM4 
suddenly became the driver stage <laughs> with the uh, and now I have a 2N2222 instead of the 2N3904 and instead of the 2N3866 I got a BV139 in there but I just used the squares I said okay how can I work with this board I already got cut and and so <clears throat> surprisingly I was able to uh, adapt the board pretty simply and then uh, another board I had uh, uh, cut out for the um, final stage I, I I cut it a little too big uh, on some of the some of the uh, pads and I said I want to try to get it a little more compact than the final but I had this bigger board so it was just a blank board and, and it just everything just fit right on there so I was able to do that but the lineup is um, as I typically do, I have a W3NQN a low pass filter and, and I have that a relay. And, I, and this time I did something a little bit different is uh, I actually, mo most of the time I'll bypass the uh, W3NQN low pass filter uh, and not have that in the receive, uh, receive chain. Uh, this time I do. So there's a TR relay there that uh, we either switch to the uh, uh, the RF amplifier stage, or, or goes into uh, the, the into the receive chain, and then the uh, re, the receive R, RF amplifier uh, has got a two N twenty one oh two in it, um, and then normally it would have a two N thirty nine oh four, but I wanted to try the two N twenty one oh two, and then it has another two N twenty one oh two in the transmit side, and this is uh, relay switched, so. On receive, it's uh, receive RF amplifier and transmit, it's uh, transmit pre-driver. Then I have a uh, standard uh, bandpass filter, and uh, that's, uh, again, uh, a lift right out of the, out of the uh, solid-state design of the radio amateur. That goes into a tough one that I pulled off of another board, and uh, that's on the receive and transmit mixer. Then the two, uh, uh, there's two bilateral stages uh, around the... Uh, crystal filter and the, these are the plus C circuit with a 2N3904, 2N3906 and actually I was I built that board as uh, an evaluation board for crystal filters and I had all kind of uh, area on the board you could solder in three or four different crystal filters and just you know manually wire them up and test one test another if you're using different IFs and so I just removed all the crystals and I put a uh, I have a packaged uh, commercial Filter. Initially, I started out with a Yesu, and uh, then I changed that over to a, um, a GQRP Club uh, 9 megahertz. And the reason is, I was a little concerned. Uh, uh, the the Yesu is 3.18 uh, megahertz, and uh, I was worried about uh, some of the issues you might have, like the second harmonic of the BFOs at 6.4 megahertz. So you're getting really close to the second harmonic and the bandpass filter. Not not a really good idea. Uh, the original Yesus were in a dual conversion, so they, they eliminated that problem. And then if you get up in the 20 meters, uh, you got to be concerned about the uh, the third harmonic. So I said, okay, let's, let's. I had a nine megahertz. Just put it in there, change the code. Uh, the product detector balance modulator is a uh, SBL1. Uh, the audio amplifier stage is a uh, any 5534 driving an LM380, lots of audio. And uh, the microphone amplifier, uh, I wanted to try something different this time. And I actually developed a circuit uh, for a PNP transistor. I mean, I got 
I have a bag of vintage PNP transistors. We all do because we all use the NPNs yeah, and the yeah. PNPs just sort of accumulate. Yeah, so I said, why can't I, why can't I come up with something, uh, you know, that uh, I could use with a, a PNP? And so uh, I simulated it in Spice. And as a matter of fact, I got an interesting question about that on the blog. Uh, I, I used a 2N4403 because it was just, I pulled it out of the list Uh but then I got, well, what if I put a 2N3906 in there? Well, I, I, I sh should say that, you know, simulate the circuit yourself and put it in there and look at the curves. They're, they're pretty, yeah, I can't see any difference. Matter of fact, uh, my bag of, uh, I think I pulled 20 transistors that are PNP and uh, some of them got to be germanium, some of them got to be silicon. And I have a socket in that board and I just kept plugging <laughs> plugging <laughs> transistors in there says okay does it work and i found two didn't work and and it was not because bad specs they were dead <laughs> so it was very useful and i can't i can't handle sockets for transistors Pete. you know i i'm traumatized by the uh, tech oh, force oh, oh, okay 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 so anyway um but the the circuit works and and i've simulated it and i've made some refinements and i've got that up on on my blog so you can see what the output looks like, and uh, it's amazing. Uh, you you juggle some of those capacitor values, and the shape of the output curve, response curve, is pretty dramatic. So uh, that's worthwhile to link not only what you got in the junk box, but to use the spice tools to simulate the circuit. So I mean, oh, yeah. so y you know, you got the best of all worlds, and. Uh, and then the, uh, of course, the uh, LO and the uh, BFO supplied with an SI5351. Hooray! Yeah, and uh, the the display is the uh, blue LCD. Now, what I really like about this this rig is, and, and it's the journey. I have found some very uh, interesting things. One of the uh, one of the comments that I that I get with the from the guys with the flex radios. They said, oh, your signal sounds really good, uh, but uh, it lacks lows. You don't have any lows in there. So, I, Do you have presence? I, I have presence, but no lows. Do you have brightness? <laughs> I have brightness, but no lows. Right. Sparkle? Sparkle's there. So, okay, good. So, well, so, good. so, so I'm, I'm saying, okay. And that's what prompted to go back to the, to the spice simulations. And I, I went through a couple of iterations to boost the low frequency response of the, of the microphone amplifier. And it was really interesting to see how you can do that by, again, looking at the simulation and, and looking at what you have in the junk box and uh, putting a bunch of capacitors in there. And, and, and I was able to really lower the frequency response. But oh, I, this, is, this is an amazing topic, and it came up on, on AA7EE's blog because he, he asked the question, why is it that sometimes we use a bypass capacitor just to take RF to ground, but sometimes we'll use the same value to carry audio. You got it. And I and I never really thought of yeah. it, but he says when you're using it as the audio input, it's combining with the resistance at the other side, and it's becoming an RC filter. And there, even though it's the same value as the bypass cap, it's serving as a, a low-pass filter or a high-pass, a low-pass filter for audio. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, I still got the reports, and I'm saying, well, look, <laughs> I've changed it. And then... The light bulb went on. The light bulb went on. It's the microphone. <laughs> uh, I'm using I'm using a power mic like you are, and I bet you know that was built for the essentially the power mics came came about because of the CB market. You know, the power talk. 
I, because I, I cycled another mic through there, and I could tell that I could see the frequency response dropping into the lower ranges because I was listening on another receiver. So, I mean, I was chasing my tail, focused on the circuits and not the microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's another thing. But LT Spice would help you with that. You know, you could, you could just you could just do the sweep. You could just change that little oscillator going in and change frequency and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's just, you know, so much that you can do that uh, you, you really learn here. So I was chasing my tail to try to improve the frequency response by focusing on the circuit. But I should have been really looking also at the microphone. So that was the, that was kind of important. Then I discovered something else. Um, because I have some sockets on the bi-directional amplifier, most of the other most of the other heavy-duty RF stages like the the driver stage and the final uh, the devices are soldered to the board. So there's there's no there's no potential that you're going to have a socket interaction. But on the drivers on the pre-driver stage, I have some sockets in there because I was trying some two two N eleven seventy ones, twenty one oh twos, forty four twenty sevens, thirty eight sixty six. And because you blow them up a lot, yeah, 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 especially, especially in solid state yeah, <laughs> amplifiers, yeah. So, I mean, that EB63A, I mean, there are several small communities in China and Japan have kept, have been kept going with the, the transistors that you fried. Absolutely. And so I had pulled one of the transistor out because I was putting it in and, and I forgot to put a transistor back in and I keyed the microphone. And I looked at the output, and I was getting output without that transistor in there, which told me something was something was oscillating, either <laughs> in the driver stage or in the final stage. Now you put, or there was some sort of miracle. Yeah, yeah. So I put, put plug the transistor back in, and and the oscillation goes away. Pull it out. So I said, that is not good. So I then uh, said, let's try to isolate this again. The, the, the process here with the boards is it lets you, because they are an individual board, you can isolate circuits pretty oh, yeah. easily. So I said, okay, let's see if it's the final. And what I did is I disconnected. Uh, there's a, a coupling, capa coupling capacitor out of the uh, driver stage. I just unsoldered it. And then I keyed the microphone, and there was no output. So I knew it wasn't the final stage. Soldered the capacitor back in, keyed the microphone. So I said, you know what? I, I've got a problem here, and it's oscillating. And I suspected that there was not enough bypass uh, on on the um, on the driver and on the uh, on the pre-driver driver. And I said, I've seen this before. So I took a couple of hundred uh, hundred microfarad electrolytics. And I put them on the decoupling resistors. I think there's a 22 ohm and two 22 ohms that are in that standard circuit. So right after the 22 ohm, put the 100 microfarad in there. Guess what? Went away. So that tells me that uh, you need to really address. And, you know, many times you'll see, like in a uh, final RF amplifier stage, uh, there's an RF choke feeding the collector. But... Ahead of that, they'll have three capacitors. They'll have like 100 microfarad, 100 nanofarad, and then they've got uh, one nanofarad. So it covers the whole frequency spectrum. And think back to what Allison told you about the EB63. And you were seeing that sawtooth wave, and she says there's not enough capacitance on yeah. the bypass. Yeah. Remember that? 
Yeah, this is this is really controversial. You know, the the business about putting the electrolytic and the the point one and all that. And so, I mean, there's some there's some really heated arguments that I that I try to stay out of. But uh, I know you mean, and and I, I have I, I on the rig that I'm going to describe here in a minute. I had the same thing where I just I was seeing some some really kind of weird stuff, and I. I figured that it needed more bypass to ground. There might have been some audio or RF on yeah. the power line, and I put it. I actually used a hundred microfarad electrolytic too, and it knocked it right down. Yeah, so. yeah. And the other the other place where I found that that to be true is uh, Farhan's Bidex uh, when the uh, on the IRF five ten at at one of those junctures he has a point two in there yeah. two two point ones. And I and in matter of fact, where I found this is when I built the LBS two, and I was having that difficulty. I put a I put a two twenty <laughs> electric lake there, cleared the problem right up. So uh, I think there's just sometimes uh, maybe because and, and this is reflective of circuit layout, circuit isolation. Uh, someone may have gotten lucky the way it was laid out. That it's it was you didn't satisfy the Barkhausen criterion K beta equals one, <laughs> so it's not oscillating. So uh, I put those two hundred hundreds in there, and it it really solved the problem. I, I see no output, I see nothing on the scope, so it, it's not pull the tr transistor out, and it's now clean. So sometimes, you know, uh, specific circuit layout will cause you some grief. Other times, uh, a different layout, same circuit, same same components will not. But in this case, it was a real learning experience for me uh, in terms of chasing these things down. Right. I, I can say uh, probably in the last three weeks that I've had the rig operating, I've probably made close to 200 contacts with it. Holy cow! And and I have it also rigged up uh, so that I can either run uh, five watts, I can run a uh, hundred watts, or I can run seven hundred watts. So yes, well, I I don't care. Theoretically, don't, theoretically, I don't care. <laughs> Take my award away. No, don't do Take that. Take my no, award no, away. No, I don't no. care. No, <laughs> you know I'm happy. Well, it's a it's a beautiful looking thing too. You guys, when you take a look at the video, you'll see it. And I like the way you did it. It's still you. You haven't really completely boxed it up yet, no, have you? No. Oh, it looks great. And I, and how you take the camera over it, it's got you've got some boards that are vertical. Most of them are horizontal. You've got some digi stuff in there. Most of it's analog. It's a thing of beauty, Pete. Well, well, thank you. And it's just it, it's an experimenter's delight because I've cycled a couple of filters through there. Uh, I had the Yesu, now I've got the GKRP filter in there. Uh, you know, tried different things in circuits. Uh, something else that I did on the um, uh, on the EMFRD board that's that's got the 2N3904 and the and the 2N3866. I have a a 2N2222 a TO18 because I can put a heatsink on it. But one thing I did was a little different. Normally, uh, they show the design with a 22 ohm. Uh, unbypassed uh, resistor to ground off the emitter of the 2N3904. I put a 200 ohm pot in there and hooked it up as a variable resistor. And now I can adjust the gain level. And so if I'm driving the, uh, if I'm running it, you know, barefoot, I, I can run five watts. And that's what, that's what sets the gain for five watts. Five watts is too much to put into the solid state amp that I have. So I can crank the gain back and I don't distort the linearity. 
So uh, that's a little something that I picked up, just a simple 200-ohm pot, uh, put the center wiper to ground and, and the, the top end of it to, to the emitter, and now you've got a, a power level control. So that, that's worked out really, really well. So these are things that you're, you know, you're picking up by using the junk boards and, yeah. and not and the other thing too is with the with the junk boards, they already look bad. <laughs> so you know, you just say, Okay, I'll gonna solder some more stuff in there. I'll put that there and you're not so much you're not so much taken by, oh geez, this has every all the wiring's gotta be at right angles and it's gotta look like it just was made on a line. You, you, you get over that, you know. You, stay, yeah, you do, you get you get, you move you move forward. You move forward. And what you really want is a good sounding rig. And so that's that it. that's the important important Well you definitely have it there. It sounds terrific. Yeah, I, I I really enjoy operating it, and uh, I, I'm I'm almost many times I'm tempted to do the N2 N2 CQR approach. I won't say what the rig is, and then finally the guy says, "You know, you really sound pretty good, and it's you know you got what, what's that radio you got there? <laughs> you know, and then you, then you say, oh yeah, it's homebrew.' Well, you know what you should do? You should you should make up some sort of designation with like a you know one thousand. Uh, you know, oh, yeah, uh, it's a KWM four. Uh, yeah, there. <laughs> you know, you, you just say that it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a Giuliano uh, seventy six hundred Pro three. Oh, I'll, well, I'll call it a JES one thousand. <laughs> something like that. JES Giuliano <laughs> Elec uh, Electronic Specialty Systems. There you go. JES one thousand. Got it. All right. That's it. Give that a try. Well, good, great work. All right. Now, my my project is far less impressive. It's only a receiver. You know, I'll talk a little bit about it. I've talked about it before. It, I, I blame Armand for this, WA1UQO, um, Armand Hamill. He, uh, he and I were at a ham fest, and, and he, I think he saw me kind of lusting after the dial on an HRO receiver, and he said, I got a bunch of those. He was building the uh, kind of the – he was working on the, uh, the ideal regen that was featured in electronic, elect, electric radio for a while. And he had a couple of these HRO dials, and he was kind enough to send me one. And I immediately, you know, I have a thing for reduction drives. You know, it, you know, it's just, you know, there's something about the, the, that that smooth movement, the slow down the movement of the capacitor. And this is the one of the best I've ever seen. It's like, you know, it's 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 up there with the velvet veneer. You sent me one of those. But this thing is great. It's mechanical. It looks like a transmission. You open it up, and it's got big gears in it. Now, quick, real quick, I'll just tell you, I had a problem, and I mentioned this in the last podcast, is that the thing moved very smoothly, but I found that when I was trying to fine-tune it, there would be a point when I was just trying to move it just a little bit where I would move the dial, but it wouldn't move the cap. It was almost like it was loose, but, but not when I was turning it, only at the point where I was trying to fine-tune it. It took me a while to figure it out. I opened it up. I consulted a bunch of, of websites, and the answer came through AA7EE's blog. Uh, this is the guy, man. He makes some amazing Dave, rigs. Beautiful, Dave. Dave, yeah. with a with a, he he's a right angle guy though. He he does really neat work. Everything's right angles. It's really neat. Beautiful photography, but he had this whole thing on the um, on the 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 the, uh, the HRO drives, and what I realized is that it, what it is is the gears are just kind of loose. I mean, they're not they're not very tightly meshed gears. So when you're making a very small movement, there's a point where the gears are not the one set of gears is not actually moving the other one you're just moving you're kind of jiggling the one gear inside the teeth of the other but but the hro guys had had 
it wasn't a design flaw because they had addressed it. And what they did is on one of the gears, there's a circular spring. Well, springs are circular, but a spring that what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to reach in there when you're setting it up and put a little tension on it. So this actually prevents the, the main gear from hanging loose between the two other gears. It's kind of hard to describe. But I, all I had to do is I took this thing out. I cleaned out all the old grease in there that had been in there for 70 years. And then I put a little bit of tension on it, put it all back together, works like a charm. So there was actually this kind of mechanical, almost kind of old car. I felt like I was working on a 65 Mustang or something. But I got the gears right. I got, got, got the transmission going. And then I just started working on it. I built the rest of the VFO. Pete, you would love it. It is super stable. I mean, super. I mean, I don't even have to wait for this thing to warm up. I, and the, the way I did this was I really followed the advice of the old ones. Doug Dumas got a lot of real practical advice on things to do to make analog VFOs stable. And I, I, I followed every one of them. Some of it, we all have a tendency to say, yeah, yeah, that's a nice idea, but I'm not going to do it. For example, he, he says, okay, if you're going to use, if you need like a, um, a 0.5 picofarad capacitor or, or, or you know, or I say, say you want to use like a, a hundred picofarad capacitor. Don't use just one hundred picofarad capacitor. Take 10, 10 picofarad capacitors right. and put them in parallel, right? And this, this, this causes the current through each one to be lower, so it reduces the heating on any individual capacitor. Right. That made a big difference. I put the, uh, the L and C elements in a separate box. I put the oscillator circuit itself in another Altoids, in an Altoids tin. I put the, the Varactor, uh, the, um, the, uh, the Zener diode and the dropping resistor on the outside of the box so it wouldn't heat up the inside. And I had a, a third box where I put the buffer and the amplifier for uh, the VFO. I built the whole thing. It's built like a kind of a, I would say like a battleship, but it's made out of wood. But it's very, very solid. Everything is nailed down. And after I finished all this, holy cow. Oh, on, on the coil, the coil is wound on one of my traditional cardboard tubes. But I put a lot of uh, nail polish varnish on it, clear nail polish varnish, and that really stabilized it. This thing, uh, it, it's, it's as stable, I think, as any of the digital VFOs that I've worked on. You turn it on, there's no warm-up time, nothing. It stays right there. Even when you're listening to an SSB signal, you know, sometimes over time you'll notice that they're starting to sound a little high-pitched or a little Donald Ducky. None of that. So I really recommend if you're building a VFO, a lot of guys will build a VFO kind of quick and then they'll put a huff and puff or something on the, on, 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 they'll hang it off the end to sort of correct but I think this thing is also, it's not running at super low frequencies. It's not running it down at one megahertz or like that. This thing's running up at, 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 at seven or eight megacycles. So even there, I, I was able to, to keep it very, very stable anyway. So I, I was really pleased with the VFO. I, I, I chose as the IF a 455KC. Don't, there's a lot of reasons why. Uh, one is I, I had, well, it would be, it would be great because if I have the, if I have the IF, uh, down low and the and the the VFO up higher. I don't have to really worry so much about the uh, about the harmonics right. from the VFO because they're all up above. Also, I had a lot of 455 KCIF transformers around, and I had this filter, the CM455 filter that I talked about before. So I figured, okay, we'll build it for that frequency range. So I I, I designed the VFO and set its frequency range, thinking that I would use it in conjunction with the 455 KCIF. Now, there are, I discovered that there are some problems with an IF that low. 
Um, it's if you we'll talk about this afterwards, but you know if I'm I'm used to using broadband transformers to do impedance match, right? So if I have an amplifier that needs 50 ohms, but it's going into a a crystal filter that it's at a thousand ohms. Well, you just figure out the transformer ratio. You wind a transformer, and there you got it, right? But when you're down at 455 kcs, you need a lot of turns on even on a on a on a, a 43 material ferrite core. You need a lot of turns to get sufficient, you know, inductance there. The, you know, the rule of thumb that DeMaul always talks about is on the lower winding, say on the 50-ohm winding, on the smaller winding, you have to make sure that you have a reactance at the, operate, at, at the desired frequency of four times the impedance. So if you, if you have a 50-ohm circuit there, you need to check and make sure that you've got enough winding so it's 200 ohms at that frequency. And I started calculating, and I would need even, you know, like on the 50-ohm on the side, I would need something like 50 turns on an FT43-50. Uh, and that's just the primary. For the secondary, I'd need, you know, a lot more. So it was getting impractical. And so anyway, that, that was one of the problems with, with 455. Also, 455, you have image problems because your image is, what, 910 kcs away. And I, I, it, with this receiver, there are times where I could hear a little bit of the image coming through even with my, uh, my bandpass filter at the front end. Uh, for the bandpass filter at the front end, I used a, a double tuned circuit bandpass filter because I had this really neat variable capacitor. I wanted to make a, a, a bandpass filter, but that it was tunable so that I could peak it, sort of like a pre-selector on a Drake 2B or something like that. So I, I built this thing. I, I used a um, uh, one of these little Toco inductors that I got from Mike Rainey. And then I, I wound another coil at the same inductance level. But it was good to have one that was variable and one was a fixed inductor. So I could make sure that they were both the same value. Right. Of course, the value of the caps are the same because it's on the same, you know, variable capacitor. And then here's something I did. And I, I might have to work on this a bit. But I know that I, I, I knew that I needed to maintain a really high impedance at the output of the bandpass filter just to maintain the Q of the bandpass filter. So I actually built a little 40673 MOSFET kind of preamp at the output because the you know looking into one of these MOSFETs the uh, the gate has a you know very very high impedance and sure enough it worked I get a really nice peak when I'm tuning that that capacitor so uh, this all worked out fine then I'll just the rest of the lineup it goes from the bandpass filter the 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 first the mixer is an SBL1 out of the junk box so I get the RF from the bandpass filter goes in one port. The uh, the VFO energy goes into the other, and 455 kcs comes out the other end. That goes to uh, a Zia amplifier uh, that, that we talked about, basically out of uh, you know uh, Wes Hayward's design and uh, Kopke's design, and that then it goes to the uh, the CM 455 filter which is a bit of a mystery to me. Uh, the only literature I could find on anybody using this filter is out of a RACAL. You know the RACAL transceivers? They were South African, right? There was a South African military transceiver that used this thing. And I managed to find a little bit of literature on it. But for me, the mystery question was, what's the impedance? Because, you know, when you have a crystal filter or a mechanical filter or a crystal mechanical filter, it's important that you need that you know what, yeah, what kind impedance, of impedance it yeah. requires. Here's where I want to ask something to you, Pete. I, I know that if you have a, um, 
you know, a bridge circuit, uh, you know, a return loss bridge. You can you can use that to determine the impedance of of some device or part that you don't know the impedance of. Well, I don't have one. I've never built one. Um, I've been meaning to do it for a long time. But I was looking at this thing and I was saying, okay, I, how can I estimate what the what the impedance of this thing is? So here's what I did. And tell me if you think this is totally goofy. I took my SIG generator and put it across the input of the crystal filter, right? And I terminated the filter in, you know, whatever. In, in, I put another impedance at the other end. And then I, I looked at it on the scope. And with a given level of signal generator output, I looked at what the, uh, you know, what, what kind of pattern I was getting on the scope. Say I was getting, you know, two volts peak to peak. Okay, then I get, uh, so I, I take the, uh, the filter out and I put a variable pot where the filter was. I turn the variable pot until on the scope I also see two volts peak to peak. And read the value. Read the value. I mean, I, I'm sure that purists will, you know, object to that. I'm sure there's a lot wrong with it. But the value that I read was about 1,000 ohms which is sort of what you'd expect for a filter like this, especially because it was designed originally for use in tube-type gear. So, okay, so then I put the, I, okay, so I said, look, I'm going to assume it's 1,000 ohms. Now, I, I talked about the problems I had with broadband transformers, so this forced me to look at a different method of impedance matching. The Zia amps, you know, they're about 50 ohms, right? And the, in, you need 1,000 ohms. So you need to make 50 ohms look like 1,000 ohms, so there's a couple of websites in there for L networks where you can design an L network. I never did this before, sure. but I, I, I plugged in the desired impedance transformation and a couple other parameters, and they spit out values for the inductor and for the cap on a simple L network. So I built this really simple L network, one at the input, one at the output of the crystal filter. And then I, I hooked it up to the Zia amps, and it works like a charm. Really sounds great. So that was that was kind of a that's was kind of a, something I hadn't done before. That was really really nice. For the BFO, well, well, for the uh, for the product detector, another SBL one, and for the BFO, I used a 455KC ceramic resonator, an oscillator built about around that. I built I had to build even a little buffer stage and an amp amplifier to get up to the 7 dBm uh, point for the uh, SBL one, but it worked works great. I, w I had to play around a little bit with the capacitor values to get the 455KC resonator to where I wanted it reference the uh, the passband of the crystal filter. But that worked out great and I, I put that in there. And then um, the for audio, I, I you know, I have this aversion to chips. So I used the same audio chain that we used in the discrete component audio amplifier for some of the bit X rigs. And it's basically four transistors. The, the, the last part of it is the uh, uh, 2N3904, 2N3906. Complementary pair. Complementary pair. Yeah. There's a 2N2222 driver and a pre audio preamplifier of a 2N3904. And it doesn't require any kind of audio transformer. And it produces a lot of audio. It sounds really good. So uh, that's that's where that project is. I, I can Let me just let you guys listen to it. Hold on. We'll do a little bit of band sweep here. I got it on 40. Let me move the mic here. That's where you, when you listen, listen when you peak the, um, you peak the, uh, the pre-selector. 40 is noisy. 
Oh, sounds good. We'll get down to CW portion real quick. Anyway, it works. Yeah, and I was just hold on. Let me get the headphones back on. I can't hear you. Yeah, I, I was just thinking. Uh, that sure sounds a lot better than the S thirty eight E. Oh man, it does. <laughs> you know, that's a, that is one of the reasons I got turned off by the S thirty eight E. I thought I kept thinking I could do better than this. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, I, I, I that, I've had a lot of fun with it, but I, I do have some remaining challenges. I'll tell you about them real quick. Okay. I want to, it's ironic, it was easy for me to get kind of good SSB selectivity because I got that CM455 filter. So it's a good 2.4 KC filter. It works very, very nicely. I get very, very little opposite sideband coming through. It, it's, it's great. But I want a broader filter in there. I'd like a filter that's about 10 KCs wide. Because I also want to use this thing for shortwave listening. Radio New Zealand comes in in the morning. A lot of stuff from China. Uh, a lot of interesting stuff in that frequency area above and below the 40 meter band. I, I can cover it, but I need a broader filter and I need a good AM detector. Now, that's, that might seem simple, but it's not. And I've discovered that it's been more difficult for me to get that broad response than the narrow response. And here's why. I'm in a very intense RF environment here. I've got a I've got a five kilowatt AM station about a mile and a half down the road, and it it's real easy for that AM signal to get into the circuitry, to get past the filter. And then if I'm using not a product detector, but if I'm using a diode detector, you get a lot of diode detections. And the next thing you know, I'm listening to the to the religious broadcasts on the AM band at the same time all the time. And uh, so that's annoying. So I got I to gotta figure out how to come up with a simple method of coming up with a, uh, with, a, with a nice 10KC bandwidth, but that doesn't also let all kinds of other stuff through. And I'm not, cr I'm not sure that a diode detector, a simple diode detector, or even a voltage doubler diode detector is enough. There's some other circuits out there for AM detection. It might be a little bit better. I'm looking for suggestions. And, and I'm sure there are. I, I wanted to um, make, make a couple of comments. One, um, when I was uh, trying to integrate the uh, Collins uh, mechanical filter into the KWM4, uh, there's some technical papers that uh, Collins published uh, about how to do that. And one of the things... Uh, that you have to have on the mechanical filter, the Collins filter, is a resonating capacitor. And uh, because they have this uh, magnostrictive transducer on either end of the, the series of little mechanical cores. And so um, I had to come up with a, uh, with a way that uh, you could get these resonating capacitors uh, to, to work. And uh, so it sounds like what you've essentially done with the L network is to come up with that resonating capacitor. <laughs> is essentially what you've done is match the match the impedances. So so that's 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 that was really clever, and uh, I, I think it'll you know, as you say, the proof is in the is in the pudding, and it's, it certainly sounds very very good. Um, 
there uh, was some, and I'm trying to remember this, um, in, in 73 Magazine or CQ Magazine, um, there was a synchronous detection system that they were using f for both sideband and AM. So you might want to do a search on uh, synchronous detectors. Yeah, that's, that's, gets, they get real complicated. Yeah, though. well, I'm I, just saying. I, you know, I, saw, you know, I, I saw one. I found, I found one that is a couple of them. They look really good, but all they are really is they're, um, they have like a two, stage, two stages. The second stage is sort of kept right at the point of conduction. So it's basically class B. So it's 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 in in that sense sort of rectifying the signal coming through, doing what a diode would do, but with some gain, and it, it seems to work a little bit better. It's got some promise. I my 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 real problem though is the um, is the, the 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 filters. I thought I could just do this with a bunch of uh, you know old 455kc tune uh, tube type IF cans, but that doesn't seem to be working out too well for me. So let me put out a plea here. If anybody has any of these 455 kilohertz small transistor radio IF cans that Toco or Toyo used to put out, they're yellow. They're the ones that are yellow, they're perfect because they've got the 455 KC resonant frequency, <laughs> resonant, resonant, resonant circuit in there, including the cap. And then they've got a 9 to 1 secondary so that it steps it down, steps it down to around 50 ohms, which is perfect. They're not available anymore. I know you found something on Amazon where you could wind your own, but I'm, I'm looking for the ones that are already done. <laughs> so if anybody's got some of those around, they're, they're the yellow ones. So anyway, I, I ask about that. There's another thing that I found that we all need. We need a good spice model for the 40673 dual-gate MOSFET. It's not there. And, and, you know, the thing is, importing spice models, holy cow, for those of us who are not you know, digital whiz kids. You know, it, I'm sure it seems simple to some folks, but um, people say, oh, yeah, you just need to do this, or you transport this, and you transport it, and you transform this around, you change this, plug it in, and you're done. Yeah, that'd yeah. be like two weeks Yeah, me, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I kind of need plug and play on the 40673 yeah. MOSFET model. I, I, I haven't seen, you know, you asked me for that. The, uh, the only ones that, and, and that's what prompted me to go to the J310s because you can find that model and you build a 40673. So that may be an option for you. Yeah, yeah that's just true. Uh, it's it's kind of fun to use the 40673 and there. Doug DeMall would be pleased. Oh, yeah, you got soul. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, that's that's sort of what I've been working on. And, and you know, Pete had a really good idea, and I think we should we're going to do this right now. Hey, send us reports about what's on your bench. Send us emails, send us videos, send us pictures. We'll put them up on the blog, you know, and we, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this stuff and then we'll find out later that some guy's been working on something similar and we didn't know about it. So please send it in to, you know, uh, solder smoke at yahoo.com and, uh, we'll, you know, we'll get it on the, on the blog. We would really like, like to know what, what you're working on. So Pete, you were going to tell us about the BD 139, the joys yeah. and, and charms and, and virtues of yeah, the BD 139. Yeah, but before I do that, I, I just, I got to be honest, <laughs> I, I was getting tired of posting stuff to my blog. So I said, uh, Archie, you guys are probably tired of me seeing posting stuff. Why don't you tell me something? And I was surprised to find out there's a lot going on out there, Bill. People are building stuff. We just don't know about it. And uh, so it was, uh, I, I mean, I got about 
10, 12 replies about, yeah, this is what I got on my bench. I'm working on this or I'm working on that. Or, oh, by the way, I built an LBS. I didn't know, <laughs> you know, there, there's another one that's, uh, that's, that's working on, on the air. I had no idea. So, uh, yeah, please encourage that. Uh, let, let us know. And, and the, the small projects are really interesting because uh, people will work on a really, you know, small little thing, not a big transceiver, but a small little thing and, and really refine it. And you find that that's very useful, like maybe – Maybe someone's got a, a very nice 40673 uh, amplifier module that they've been working on that they could share with you, Bill, and that may fill the bill in, in that receiver that you're on. Okay. Hey, Pete. Yeah. You you forgot to remind me. Shameless Commerce Division. We'll do it real quick. Okay. Hey, use the, uh, please, please use, when you're shopping on Amazon, please use the little box in the upper right-hand corner of the Solder Smoke blog, soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Begin your Amazon search there, and uh, Bezos and company will have to send us uh, a little bit of money every time you buy something. It doesn't cost you anything. It aids the solder smoke cause, and uh, we really appreciate it. So that is that is all we ask of our, our, of our listeners, yeah. Pete. Yeah. And uh, we appreciate it when you guys do that. Thanks very much. Okay, right. back to our show. Uh, it's kind of amazing. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, I, I bought a bag of these because someone was using these uh, a long time ago. As a matter of fact, W-A-D-I-Z, uh, Diz, uh, he uh, had a kit. He's the toroid king, by the way. If you want to get toroids aside from Amazon, you can go to W-A-D-I-Z. And he's he's got a lot of things that he sells. But he used to sell uh, an, an HF amplifier, a broadband amplifier, uh, at about 10 watts. And it had the BD-139s. So I saw that he no longer saw that's a discontinued kit. But I think at the time I saw that and I said, eh, you know, what I need to buy his board for? I can make my own. <laughs> and so I bought a bunch of BD-139s. And uh, they were just sitting in the box there. And actually, I tripped over them. I was looking for something else in, when I was in my junk box. And I said, oh, yeah, the BD-139. Now, I guess you have to be a little bit careful because you have to know who makes them. Uh, it seems like some of the BD-139s that are being sold with a no name on it are factory rejects, and, and they may not work too well. They'll work well as an audio transistor, but may not work very well at, at RF frequencies. But the NXP and the Fairchild versions of these uh, work very, very well. And uh, they have a rating on it like, uh, they have like, Eight watts of dissipation. They've they've got the uh, they've got the case style that's uh, very similar to the TO220, but it's it's one less than that. It's like a TO126, and I think there's even a surface mount version of those. Uh, some of the manufacturers will spec these things to 300 megahertz, so they're a perfect RF device because the uh, cutoff frequency, the FT, is uh, you know 250 to 300, so That'll work well at, you know, 40 meters or 20 meters or 10 meters. And uh, I think the max uh, max uh, collector current is 1.5 amps. So I had... Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So this, these are heavy duty. As a matter of fact, uh, some guys have put a couple of these in a push-pull amplifier, and they get 10, 15 watts out of them. Now, you need a pretty wow. good heat sink, but uh, I, I got to tell you... The other amazing thing is, I look at the price of these. You can buy them from anywhere from forty to sixty cents a piece. 
Ooh. brand new. So, wow. so I mean, to me, uh, if someone's looking for a replay, a two N thirty eight sixty six or two N fifty one oh nine, you're going to pay two to three dollars for it now. I just, uh, I mean, they were you know a buck, and then they went up to two. Now they're up to three. So the BD one thirty nine, uh, if you get the NXP or you get the Fairchild version, uh, have the guaranteed specs, and uh, there are you know, a lot of them have use in audio applications. Uh, but they certainly work at RF, uh, especially if you get that that version. And and I can tell you, I got one I got one working in the uh, junk box rig because I found them in my junk box, and it works perfectly. Now it's got the funny pinouts, like the uh, the center is the collector. You know, you got the three pins. And so, oh, that's just trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're gonna have to, you know, you're gonna you're gonna have to jimmy the thing. It won't fit in the socket real well, but you can solder <laughs> it down Manhattan style pretty easy. So, All right, fantastic. Hey, Pete, we're, you got more on the BD139? No, just, you know, we gotta we were gonna talk a little bit about ferret core matching yeah, transformers. I'm, I'm ready. We we talked we talked a little bit about it, but go ahead. Yeah. We're, we're getting we're, we're we're moving along here, but but we gotta we gotta cover this vital topic. Okay. Um, Actually, this was an input from uh, Solder Smoke uh, podcast listeners. Said, "Would you guys please talk about ferret core transformers?" And and there's you can do the math, and there's a very complex calculation. But basically, all you have to remember is turns ratio squared. That's turns right. ratio squared is the only thing you got to remember. And uh, let's go back to your TIA example. Uh, you were saying we got some TIA amps. That's 50 ohms. Doesn't matter what you hang on a on it; it's going to be 50 ohms. Now, if you went from a TIA amplifier to say a homebrew filter, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna match 50 ohms, and typically the homebrew filters are around 170 ohms, maybe 200 ohms, maybe. Call it 200. Make it easy. Well, I'm gonna do 170. All right. Okay, 170. Now, the first thing you do is you take the 170 and you divide it by 50. So that says you're going to get 3.4. So right. the turns ratio squared of what what you wind on that ferrite core, the 3743, has got to be 3.4. In other words, uh, the primary squared, the secondary squared, you divide those two, and it got to come out to 3.4. And there's a real simple answer for that. If you put seven turns on the 50-ohm side and 13 turns on the secondary side, the 170 ohms, you're going to get uh, 169, that's 13 squared, divided by 49, which is 7 squared, is 3.44. Close. Really close. So you want to get 3.4, which is the division of 170 by 50, and you get 344 with 13 turns and 7 turns. Now let's say you have you have a uh, Yesu filter in your, in your Digizia, Rick, right. and it's 500 ohms. So now if you want to match 50 to 500, that's a 10. you got to go right. 10 times. And and keep in mind, there, these these work very well for other, other uh, impedances, but if you take 19 turns on the secondary, 19 squared is 361. If you put 6 turns on the primary, 36. The last time I divided 36 into 361, 10 plus. A little bit, so you can match the 50 to to uh, 500. Now you can do that two ways. If you have uh, like an output capacitor, uh, uh, what you do on the Zia, you can make a solenoid type transformer. Instead of having two separate windings, you can have a 19 turn winding which connects into the filter, 
and tap it at the sixth turn and that you connect to the Zia. Or you can make it two separate windings, a six turn winding and a 19 word winding. So you can do it auto transformer style, tap it at the sixth turn, put that into the 50 ohms, uh, the 19th turn, put that into the filter. Now that you have sitting on the shelf a gold mine bill, you've got the HW101 with two filters in it. Both of those filters are 2,000 ohms. So you want to go 50 to 2,000, that's 40. And uh, so if you look again at our 19-turn uh, secondary, 19 turns uh, squared is 361. Three turns is nine. If you divide nine into 361, you get 40. So a three-turn primary, a 19-turn secondary will match that Zia amplifier into those Heathkit filters. Um, let's say you have a, um, an NE602 and you want to match the input of the NE602. And as a matter of fact, if you look up Joe Carr's uh, NE602 primer, that's the name of the article, uh, he talks about broadband matching. And uh, so between pins 1 and 2 is 1,500 ohms. And if you want to match that to 50, that's a 30 to 1. And a really easy way to do 30 to 1 is to put a two-turn two primary with 11-turn secondary. Two turns squared is 4. 11 turn squares 121, divide 4 into 121, and you get 30. So uh, a match into an NE602 is a 2 turn, 11 turn. Of course, on pin 2, you, you put a 0.005 uh, cap to ground. So uh, more complex matches, like 2 to 1, how do you match 50 to 100 ohms? You actually have two choices here. You can use a five-turn primary and a seven-turn secondary. So a five-turn primary is 25. A seven-turn secondary is 49. You divide those two, you get 1.96, real close. Or a seven-turn primary and a 10-turn secondary, which is 49 and 100, which is 2.04. So you got, a, you got the same amount of difference either side. I'd probably go with the seven and the 10 and uh, match 50 to 100 ohms. Uh, if you want to do, uh, say, a 9 to 1, this works out pretty easy. If uh, you had an 18-turn uh, secondary, that's 324, and a 6-turn primary, that's 36. You divide those two, you get exactly 9 to 1. So it's turns ratio squared, and sometimes, right. terms, sometimes you have to just play with the numbers, you know, just some plug numbers. But I, but I know from having done this a lot of times, 19 turns on the secondary, uh, six turns on the primary is a 10 to one match. So, you know, I, I just pulled out while I, while you were talking, I reached down and pulled out my notebook from the Zia project. And I have an entry here nine May, 2015. And I was matching the Yesu nine megahertz filter. My notes say, Pete says 500 ohms. <laughs> yeah. And so I've got to go from 50 ohms to 500 ohms, which is a 10 to 1 impedance ratio. You square it, or, or you take the square root, and it's, as you said, it comes 3.16 to 1, right? Mm -hmm. So I just went with 3 to 1, just to keep it simple, right? So I went with three turns on the primary, nine turns on the secondary, and that's what, what actually went into the into the Zia, all right? Does that sound good? Yeah, it'll work. And and it, and I also I, I but I the other thing I did was I measured the um, you got to measure the inductance of especially on that lower turn 
to make sure that you reach that you know minimum 200 ohm yeah. reactants, right? And so I, I measured, and I measured on the primary, I was at 0.599 microhenries. On the secondary, I was 4.4 microhenries, so I was good there too. And it, it really worked. And you know, this is especially important. This kind of stuff's important with the filters. And I, I remember I measured, I, I took a look at the passband with before I did this impedance matching, and the filter passband was a mess. It was all spiky, and there was a lot, a lot of ripple in there. And after I did this, it was really smooth, very flat, just like the uh, the Yesu engineers intended. So it was a very satisfying fix. But that is a really useful tool that 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 broadband transformer when you have to do the impedance impedance match. So I'm glad I'm glad our listeners have told us to cover this yeah, important topic. Yeah, and the important thing, Bill, is using the ferrite cores. A low number of turns gives yeah. you a very high inductance. So you say, right. so you satisfy that requirement that uh, that in terms of the impedance in the four to one. So and you don't get a lot of straight yeah, capacitors. Yeah, there yeah. You've got you've got a smaller number of turns. So three cheers for ferrite. Yep. Hey, um, let's see. We're going to talk about my new SIG generator. I got a new SIG generator for my birthday. A, a field tech Chinese signal generator. I like it a lot. Um, it's very simple. It's less than ninety bucks. It's a counter. It'll do sweeps. It'll put out two, it, I've took it down to one hertz, and it'll go all the way up, way beyond the, it'll go up, up to 24 megahertz. Um, and it's got, you, you could do all kinds of settings on it. I, I really like it, and, and it's another example of the kind of test gear that's coming out of China that can really, really do do wonders for a workbench. But we'll talk about that more a little bit next time around. Yeah. A couple of things we have to cover. QSO reports. Yeah. You, I know you've been having. A, you mentioned a great time on forty meters. Yeah, and it's a, uh, it's amazing. Uh, you get some really a whole range of uh, inputs back. Uh, I was talking to the station the other day. He said, "What kind of antenna are you running?" And he's, uh, I said, "I'm running a droopy dipole." And I said, "I need to work on it." And I got lectured. I got lectured why I had to have a double bazooka and that I was wasting my time. I'm saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. People are fanatical. Yeah, I, I, Every, they want you to, theirs is the only way. Yeah. I, there's a, there's a, a bit of Dilbert phenomenon yeah, at work here. And then I, I got an email yesterday from a guy that was teaching a radio class. And he happened to hear me in CUSO with, a, with another station in utah and i was running 700 watts yes i was running 700 watts and he was teaching this young lady about they had an sdr receiver there he was teaching this young lady about you know what a sideband signal looks like and so she says to him well i'm tuning four kilohertz down and he's splattering he must be overdriving that thing <laughs> oh my god so oh, then so then fighting words then, then he said well she was right I, I just tuned for max smoke, and, and it was my fault. I, I, I knew when I saw that meter jumping up in there, and I said, yeah, I probably am splattering a little bit. So then she said, I don't like his sideband opposite sideband rejection. It's only 20 dB down, so he must have some. So I didn't take it as a negative. I took it as a very positive, and I've since made some corrections to drive levels. That was a that was a problem. That's really that's really big of you, Pete. I mean, I I I thought you were going to be. You're you're suppressing your inner Italian here, my friend. What's but, going on? What I saw this is this young lady has learned a real lesson. 
I mean, she's mm-hmm. going to go out here and say, "Yeah, I know what a signal looks like," and the guy just. But the, but but what some what some folks don't understand though is that if you're really close and you're really strong, yeah, they don't understand that their receiver has skirts too, right? Yeah. So they'll they'll be saying, "Wow, you're you know you're you're eight KCs wide." Yeah. And you'll say, okay, well, how how strong am I at your station? Well, you're 60 dB over S9. And I can hear you all the way down. You know, I can hear you down four or five KCs. Yeah, because I'm at 60 dB over S9, and your receiver actually has, even even the SDR receivers have skirts. Yeah. It's not it's not brick wall. It's not straight up, straight down. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was just, I, I did have the mic gain set up too high. That, that was it. Uh, there's no question of that because then I went back and looked at it and then I, I had too much drive coming out of uh, one of the, the lower level stages and so that contributed to the problem but right. I think what's really well, important is you got some the guy said the, the guy who was the instructor says I thought you sounded great <laughs> <laughs> he said but you know this is for what it's worth so you can learn some things and I think the thing I'm trying to say is keep an open mind about this stuff there may be things that you do need to do that, you know, you're not hearing the signal like it's on the other end. You may be hearing it in a local receiver, and that may be not telling you the full story. So uh, I, I consider that very valuable. That was a valuable – all information is good information, Bill. That That's, that's – <laughs> uh, other than well. getting lectured on antennas. <laughs> hey, uh, I've had some really good conversations on 42. I just took a look at the log real quick. All on 40 sideband. I talked to Mike, VE3BGE. A friend of Fred Hammond, a famous Ooh, guy. Yeah. Yeah. And then I also on 40, spoke to Ken, WI1B. We got to talk about EB63 amps. He knew all about them. It was great. He was interested in BitXs. Talked to Joe, K1WPO uh, in Massachusetts, a uh, big uh, boat anchors fan. And Dave, VE3EAC up near Kingston, Ontario, told me he was a solder smoke listener. So uh, I, I have fun every time I get on 40. I mean, sometimes it's hard to find somebody who you could talk about tech stuff with, but it's not impossible. They're out there. So uh, get on the air, and it, it's fun to use these rigs. Hey, Pete, you've pointed out that we're approaching an important date. Yes. Not, not real close, but February 16th, 2017 is the official antenna modification day. Why is that? Well, it's in the middle of February. That's why. <laughs> oh, okay. That's right. That's right. That's the best time to get out there and yeah. work on your antenna. I mean, your butt's freezing, and, and this is the time to do is it. Is that when you're going to put up the double bazooka? Yeah. Yeah. All Actually, right. you know, I want to just jaw on that a minute because people have touted this, and I said, okay, let me look at it. Double bazooka was really invented uh, by the U.S. government in the 40s and 50s on radar systems. And and what what a, what it is is it's uh, it's u- mostly using coax and then some guys put real expensive coax and they say don't do that. The idea is that the uh, center core actually it's the out, outer braid that's the radiator and the center core acts as a ballin. And uh, they also use uh, not not exposed wiring. The idea is that all the wire has covering on it. So one of the claims is it doesn't build up a static charge. So it's a it's a uh, quieter antenna, and and the other thing was that this ball, the center core is the ball, and tends to give it a a broadband thing, like a dipole on 40 meters. Uh, you can cut it at a frequency, and it may be good. 30, 40 kilohertz is going to be a reasonable SWR. You go to either end, and boy, that SWR is going to really climb. The bazooka has the property that it, it'll give you like a 300 kilohertz bandwidth 
on on 40 meters, which says you can cover the whole band. If you cut it for the center of the band, the re SWR be reasonable. You need no tuner, anything like that. But it is not does not give you a 6dB gain. <laughs> whoever whoever touts that his bazooka has a 6dB gain is not telling the truth. Now, if you pair them, a couple of them, and you can then create a beam, a wire beam, you will get a 6dB gain. But you can also steer that. Uh, if you put a phasing section in there, you can steer it, you know, one direction or the other direction. Uh, so you can have a two bi-directional beam, with, even though it's a fixed antenna. But be careful what people are telling you. Be careful what you read on the Internet, because some of it is true. Not all of it is true. As a matter of fact, a company selling a commercial unit, and uh, they want 150 bucks for this uh, double bazooka. And it's good for 1.5 kilowatts. But there are no gain plots. <laughs> Why would I buy that antenna without looking at a gain plot? Because it's got a one-to-one -one SWR. Yeah, there, yeah, there you go. There you go. No, we don't want to get... All yeah, right. Okay, so, sorry. Sad story. Yeah. Sad story, I know. Okay. About the SWR, you know, if you put a resistor at the end, 50-ohm resistor at the end of coax, your SWR will always yeah, be one-to-one. One. One. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be low. All right. All right. Well, we want to end on a positive note. So let's talk about solder smoke mailbag. I got a few pieces of mail here. Bob Crane, W8SX, our man in Dayton, sent me a Hamfest Buddy, the kit that W1REX Rex did at the build Buildathon. This was the little QRP rig, yeah, where you don't have to solder anything. You just everything just plugs into little sockets. Talking about sockets, oh. I'm going to do this thing because it's going to be part of my my uh, my rebirth as a QRP. -er. Well, make that with your new receiver. I will. Maybe. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Boom. All right, good. Uh, thank you very much, Bob, and thanks, Rex, for doing that. Uh, KD8WDV, uh, or WOV, I think it's WDV. I'm sorry if I got the call wrong. Told us he's working on an HW7. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> 40673s. Yeah. Not always the best part, but I always like that HW7. Grayson, our friend who used to be in Turkey and who's now in Florida, when he heard about my use of the Armand, uh, you know, the HRO dial, and he, and he heard that I was using it with a um, solid-state uh, oscillator. <sighs> he immediately sent me a message, and the subject line says it all. Oscillator decision error. <laughs> <laughs> he, he wants you to put a 6C4 in there, Bill. Yeah, I, I, I don't, that's not going <laughs> to happen. No. Anyway, uh, but thanks for that, Grayson, and I appreciate that. It, uh, I, I understand your sentiments completely. Stephen Murphy is working on a receiver. He's calling it the Michigan Mighty Mate a receiver for the Michigan Mighty Might. He started out with a regen. <laughs> yeah. And and quickly found out that everything I've said about them is pretty much true. They're possessed. Yeah. All right, so he's moved on, and I think he's going to do direct conversion now, so fine with that. Eric Guth, our friend over there in, in Israel, 4Z1UG, uh, the host of the QSO Today podcast. A lot of great interviews Eric does. and uh, But he, he's got this service where if they interview you, they, they turn it into a transcript. And, and my segment, Pete, has been transcripted. Ooh. Wow. Cool. I, I, I think it's cool. And Eric sent me that. There's a link to it up on, the, uh, on, on his blog. That's fine. Finally, I, I've heard from Farhan, always an interesting guy, always got so much going on. Farhan, you know, he's working on this BIDX 40-meter module. It's an entire BIDX transceiver on one very small board, you know, about the size of your hand or smaller. And the idea is that he's going to sell these things, and, the, and and you're going to be able to put all the, I guess we could call it, peripherals around it. You could experiment with different 
oscillators, different amplifiers, um, even you know, you, it's it's just the the rig itself is on the board, but you get to you get to do a lot of experimental. Ooh, that's work. cool. No, it's a great idea. He's got a website that describes it. They, they he's using this um, uh, a group of poor people in India to put it together. Great. And he, he's I think he's still working with them, but they've they've some of the parts have moved to surface mount, and they're doing pick and place on portions of the board. Other portions are being built by. Uh, the ladies that he was working with before, so there's a kind of a, uh, a kind of a generosity aspect to this that's very very admirable. But I'll I'll try to get a link up to Farhan's page, but it's a really interesting project, and we wish him a lot of luck with that. Pete, what else do you have? I don't know, but we we've been at this almost an hour and a half. <laughs> so, Time flies, but you're having yeah, fun. Yeah, someone's gonna have to make a pit stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bill, hey. oh, I want to compliment you on that that receiver you built. It it absolutely sounds stunning. I I, I got to tell you, listening to it on this end here, pat yourself on the back, and uh, really really nice sounding radio. Hey. And so that, but you know, as you, you live and learn, it's got some problems. Well, I got yeah. I I've, I've got too much amplification ahead of the mixer. I've got I do, and I can hear breakthrough. Well, there's an RTTY contest on forty today, right? Ooh. And when I'm listening to sideband. I can hear a powerful RTTY station way down the RTTY did, portion. Did of you band. look at putting a pad after your post mixer amplifier? I got to do something, but I noticed that problem. And this is the good thing about being in it for a while. You know, 10 years ago, I would have just said, ah, I don't care. I just listened to a little bit of RTTY. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. But now you, now you want to, I got to fix it. And I, and I think what it is is that I, I may be overloading the, even the SBL1 mixer. Yeah. And that's one of the problems. It affects dynamic range. That's one thing that Wes always says. You know, the holy grail with receivers dynamic. is dynamic range. And uh, I, I have some dynamic range problems here, so i got to work on that. i got to broaden the response. I want to do shortwave listening. It's fun stuff, Pete. You bet. But thanks for the compliment. I, I really love the new blue junk box rig. People <laughs> should take a look at the video. Well, I still have a half a can of paint, so I don't know what I'm going to do. Does that mean I have to build more stuff just so I use the paint, or do I waste the paint? No, keep the paint for future projects. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, somebody did send me um, uh, a note saying that, uh, well, they appreciated painting the rigs, and his name happens to be Ed, so he's got Ed's red. Uh, <laughs> right. Hey, I want to end on one really positive note. I got a picture this morning of little Gonzalo. Oh, cool. And he's he's holding a big poster. He's got a big smile on his face, and the poster says, no more chemo. Oh, that's true. He's graduated. He's doing great. And he's going to be going back home with the Dominican Republic soon. So thanks to everybody who helped, and thanks for all the good wishes. Have, You'll see the picture. Have on you there. heard anything from Billy? Is he is he still alive? He's having a great time. He's he, he, he's loving life in college. Oh he's doing man! Thanks for asking. He's having a good time. He's gone just. He's been out there for about a month and a half now and having a good time. Oh, that means he met a lot of girls. <laughs> I think that has something to do with it. <laughs> Take care. All right. Seven threes from the left coast. Seven threes from Northern Virginia. Thanks a lot. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Soldersmoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. 
let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi! Uh...